Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I would say uh, uh, our, our country should be more fearful um, of, of, of white men across our country because they are actually um, causing uh, most of the deaths within this country. That's Representative Ilhan Omar. And the question before us is, why is she still on committees in the House of Representatives? What are we waiting for? What else do you need? Why would anybody allow this bigot to represent them? And why would Congress allow this bigot to be on a committee? If she replaced white with any other color, the screaming would be out of control. You wouldn't be able to concentrate. But because, uh, oh, it's, it's, it's about white men. <laughs> then it's fine. You know, she's married to a white man. Yeah, after she was married to her brother, she married uh, this guy by destroying his marriage. Yes, that's that's Ilhan Omar. Oh, oh, wasn't married to her brother? Uh, well, prove that one to me. I'm not saying that it was gross. I'm saying it was for a uh, purpose of uh, getting into the country. Oh, I don't have the story? Well, then what is the story? Could we investigate? Could we look? Could we see? I mean, it's a weird story. But even if all of it checked out, she is married to a white guy and just said that white men are the problem and the reason for all the violence in the country, which, may I just say for the record, is what guys in the KKK say about black men. I mean, what a weird place to put yourself. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. Don't ever get angry with me for noticing the insanity of other people and how it connects to other insanity. What is the difference between this line right here? I would say uh, uh, our, our country should be more fearful um, of, of, of white men across our country because they are actually um, causing uh, most of the deaths within this country. What's the difference between Ilhan Omar at that moment and a KKK member who uses the exact same terminology but says black people? The answer is nothing. Same theory, same philosophy, same attitude, same belief, same hate, hate same despicableness. Why would you want either one of them representing you? Why is anybody mad at me for noticing that she is engaging the same exact talking points of the KKK, just using a different color? If it's hate, it's hate, right? Let's do this again for the people in the cheap seats. If it's hate, it's hate, right? This is what we know. This is what we're, we're told, we're supposed to believe, we're supposed to take as fact. If it's hate, it's hate, it's hate. Yet somehow that's not hate? No, I think we have to make an example of it and treat it as hate. And that's why she has to be removed from her committees. Never mind for her anti-Semitism and the cowardice of the progressive left in calling her out for her anti-Semitism because, of, of course, uh, they buy in. This is why Congressman Andre Carson of Indianapolis votes against the resolution 
Uh, the resolution says Israel's not a racist state, which it's not, and he votes against it, one of nine to vote against it, because, well, he's he's got a clear hatred for Israel. He's got a clear bigotry. He's also somebody who won't denounce Louis Farrakhan. He, he says he's friends with Louis Farrakhan. He'll, he'll work with Louis Farrakhan. That's a bigot. I don't know how many more ways uh, that, that Congressman Andre Carson, through his his very, very uh, poor... Um, um, not it's 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 not a thought process. Uh, he makes a poor decisions. He makes decisions that have him siding with bigots. He's done it with Rashida Tlaib. He's done it with people on the terrorist watch list uh, in in conferences that he was going to attend, and then it was called out. And all of a sudden, I wasn't supposed to attend. I wasn't supposed to be on the flyer. This was uh, quite a few years ago, and now. With, with Ilhan Omar, and I, I should say, well, it was Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and a bunch of others, like Representative Ocasio-Cortez, who, uh, I'm not going to go see a speech from Isaac Herzog, the president of Israel. I'm going to vote against this resolution because Israel is a racist state. No, it's not. It seems that Congressman Andre Carson is always on the side of the bigot. Now let's find out if he's on the side of Ilhan Omar. Does he think that white men are the problem? Is that what he thinks? Because it's what Ilhan Omar thinks, and therefore Ilhan Omar is not suited to represent the people. I, I would favor full expulsion at this stage of the game. How despicable can you get? Steve King got annihilated, the congressman from Iowa, destroyed for his commentaries. They were worse than this? Notice there's no defense of his commentaries. I'm asking, were they worse than this? And how in the world do you grade them? And why would you? Why would anybody be okay with this? You should note, by the way, she said this on Al Jazeera. She's married to a white man. She clearly thinks white people are the problem. And you know that I know, that we know, that she says this because it brings her votes. It brings her votes. By the way, you can point to FBI crime statistics and everything else if you choose. Oh, no, this group and that group and the other group. I'm not even going to play that game. That game's crazy. I'm not going to play any game whatsoever. I don't even want to ask the Democratic Party to condemn her. They've shown. It's clear. They're a bunch of cowards. I want to discuss why Kevin McCarthy and the Republican Party let her stay on committees. It wasn't enough to remove her from foreign affairs. She gets removed from everything. Her bigotry deserves expulsion. But I don't think expulsion actually gets you where you want to be. Now you say to me, Tony, she deserves it, she deserves it. Look, I I hear you. I absolutely hear you. And there should be things that are above politics. I hear you again. I believe this to be true. I believe this to be one of those cases. But I believe her expulsion would just get her reelected uh, in that district because that district doesn't seem to care about hate. Uh, they, they only seem to care about being hateful. Uh, and it could be utilized as a rallying cry. I think you get much more by removing her from committees as a, as a way of saying we simply won't put up with this, I think you actually get more. Now, if I was in Congress, I'd be calling for her expulsion. 
right? If I was a member of Congress, I would absolutely be calling for her expulsion. I would deal with the rest on the other side because wrong is wrong. But I could appreciate if some cooler heads say, whoa, 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 we're not going to expel. We're just simply going to censure and that's going to be it. We're going to censure, not censure. Well, we might censure and then remove our committees and then that's it. The committee removal has to happen. And that way, uh, we, we, we send our, our message and we do the right thing. I could appreciate that that's what they're saying. Me, I'd be, I would be all about the removal. But I can, I'm just understanding the politics. I'm, I want to make sure we're all clear about that. What I'm not clear about is why Democrats are okay with this. Why are, why, why are they fine with this bigot? Why won't they condemn? Why do they condone so much hate? They talk about it all the time. The problems with hate, oh, look at the hate here. Look at the hate on college campuses. Look at this, look at that, look at the other. But why? Why? Why, why, why won't they condemn the hate? It's exactly what should happen, but they don't do it. It's one of the many problems with progressivism. You can't condemn one of your biggest strengths. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Lots of insanity around Jonathan Taylor, Jim Irsay, and the Colts. Uh, We've talked about it. We'll get to that. There are a lot of things we don't know, some things we do. One of the things we do know is training camp. Training camp has begun, and Westfield, Grand Park, they see the economic benefits, at least one assumes they do. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Gary Dick joins us. He is from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. You can follow him personally at Gary Dick, G-E-R-R-Y, at Gary Dick on the, the Twitter box. And regardless of the, the, if you will, scandal going on and whether or not Jonathan Taylor will be back or not, um, everything is uh, good in the world of, of Westfield. Finally, some value there uh, at Grand Park where people are coming, it seems, to uh, see uh, these games, this spring training, if you will, this camp happen. Yeah, and I guess you could argue, Tony, that this uh, this drama around Jonathan Taylor is uh, is adding to the, the visibility as part of the impact that Westfield gets from the national media, uh, certainly locally here, but the uh, NFL Network and ESPN and uh, and all the other national outlets uh, descended upon Westfield to cover this uh, Jonathan Taylor story. So that's that's a piece of the story as well. As far as the economic impact, uh, you know, it's it's tough to measure. Back when the Colts uh, were in Anderson years ago, they had pegged the economic impact at I think five to six million dollars a lot of people thought that was very high it really wasn't that that close i haven't seen any really legitimate numbers on what the impact is uh in in westfield but you can just uh, you know the eyeball test to see from the number of people who were there over the weekend number of people in restaurants in in uh, the, the various uh, uh venues around town folks typically aren't coming there to stay overnight so there's not a whole lot of hotel uh, uh revenue but there is impact from the economy standpoint. A lot of uh, businesses around Westfield uh, seeing a little bump during training camp. I think when it, when it comes to the, the whole Grand Park conversation, of course, they're trying to sell it. Who can actually run this thing? They took this massive bet. And while I, it seems that the bet hasn't paid off, I, 
maybe I'm not in touch enough with the people of Westfield to to understand it fully, but I don't see where there is great anger, but rather a question of, okay, what do we do now? Is there anger in Westfield that Grand Park has not been the driver that they thought it would because they can't actually run it the way they believe they could? Well, you, you know, I, I think, Tony, you've seen, you've had, had det- Grand Park has had detractors from day one since the idea was floated out there by by uh, the, the city's first mayor, Andy Cook. Uh, there are people who, who opposed it, didn't like the idea. Uh, on the flip side, you, you can look at some of the numbers that uh, are out there and talking about uh, $100 million in new development in and around uh, Grand Park since it uh, opened and, and what it has uh, brought into the, uh, into the, uh, into the city uh, with the Colts and the Pacers and others uh, there and the things that it, that it has attracted. So it certainly has its, its uh, supporters as well. Uh, it was a big bet. It is a big project, one of the biggest youth sports complexes in the entire uh, country, and I think uh, it will continue to have those who, who don't like the idea, who don't think it was a good idea, but you've got those supporters who, who point to uh, uh, the traffic there and the economic impact that it has generated over the years. Speaking of economic impact, uh, Mount Comfort RV, you have the story, Alex Brown reporting over InsideIndianaBusiness.com. Mount Comfort RV is going to be acquired by Camping World. Um, that seems to me to be not a story that is small. That seems to be pretty giant in my view. Yeah, it, it is. And Camping World is a uh, is the big uh, the big Kahuna, if you will, in that uh, in that world. Camping World uh, Holdings, based in in Illinois, uh, Mount Comfort RV was founded in 2006, used to be uh, Mark's RV Sales. And, uh, you know, the company actually was just a few years ago in 2019, cut the ribbon on a $5 million uh, sales center in Greenfield. So it's invested a lot of money, created a few jobs there, and uh, it has obviously uh, attracted the attention of some big players. And the anticipation is, I think this is the third location for Camping World in uh, the state of Indiana, the anticipation is that uh, we'll have the potential to grow in Greenfield as well. So we see the, this movement uh, happening, and certainly when we talk about RVs, uh, we talk about where they get built, which is uh, northeastern yep. uh, Indiana. We talk about the idea that so goes the RV market, so goes America, so goes the economy. One could argue that the the acquisition shows that there's still a desire for this, which means the economy is going in a good place. Uh, the other side of that conversation is that selling this is get out while the getting's good. So, what does this tell us? Is this, is it is it a is there a story here, or is it just sometimes you know a cigar is just a cigar? Sometimes an acquisition is just an acquisition. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think there's there's a lot more to this story per se, Tony. But your point about the RV industry and obviously uh, huge in northern and northeast Indiana, eighty something like eighty percent of the RVs sold in the U.S. come from come from Indiana. And in talking with folks in that market just last week, we're going to be up uh, for our Gage Indiana event in South Bend uh, tomorrow. Uh, there is some uh, concern that the RV industry is is going to be uh, dialing back production. 
But even with that that cut in production, they're still going to have or are on track to have one of their best years uh, in a long time uh, in 2023. So kind of mixed signals, if you will, uh, more on the positive than the negative side. And that's good for Indiana because that is such a huge industry, in particular in northern Indiana, uh, and one that is, is very cyclical. You know, uh, gas prices in, in the overall economy impacted in a big way. We uh, discussed the Indiana State Fair, which opened this weekend to temperatures in the four billions and yet still, still brought the people talking to Gary Dick of InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. Um, The new pavilion, there's really this this better look for the entirety of. Of the fairgrounds, there's clearly an objective not to give up on this, but double down on this. Uh, the fair is always great. You're going to get nearly a million people uh, mm-hmm. to uh, the, the, the fairgrounds. Um, what, as we've discussed a little bit, maybe you can get a little more insight now. What's next for the fairgrounds? You're losing the Indy Fuel. You're going to be losing uh, IUPUI, which will now be what uh, IU Indianapolis uh, playing uh, there. How do they plan on making this up? And with all this investment in, what is it that they're reaching for? Yeah, I, I think a couple things. And, and uh, you mentioned uh, the fuel and IUPUI leaving ultimately the Coliseum. Stay tuned on that one. I was at the fairgrounds last week, uh, did a show there last weekend, and I'm told there could be a big announcement uh, regarding uh, the Coliseum. Uh, before long. So keep an eye on that. But in terms of that bigger picture, Tony, and I've covered the fair on and off years ago when I was a reporter at Channel 6, covered it a lot, and I've seen this transition, this transformation, if you will, with new facilities, new buildings. This uh, Fall Creek Pavilion that you mentioned uh, is really a great example of what the fairgrounds is looking at doing in terms of really enhancing their year-round status as a venue. That $50 million renovation of the swine barn is going to host these world-class ag events. So they're going to get those types of, continue to get those kinds of events. But it's also going after sporting events. They've got the NCAA Division II Track and Field Championships in 2025. They could put a portable track inside this agriculture facility that truly becomes a sporting facility. They've established a partnership with U.S. Uh, U.S. track and field uh, for uh, uh, seminars and coaching clinics and uh, a number of types of meetings throughout the year. So I think you're going to see the state fair continue, and they've been doing it, but continue to broaden out and to be not just an ag event or an ag venue, but one that is truly multi-purpose participating in uh, really in the convention and tourism business, if you will, uh, here in central Indiana. To be in that business, you need a place for those people to stay, right? They're going to stay downtown and are okay with the travel up to the fairgrounds when there are parts of that area, whether it be on Keystone or other spots, that aren't necessarily safe. Don't you need a city that is willing to uh, make that investment to ensure the safety? Yeah, you know, safety always uh, is is a uh, is an issue, uh, no matter when or where uh, you're, you're talking about or what city you're talking about. And I think what the fairgrounds will tell you is, from a central location, right in the central part of the city, 38th and Fall Creek, you've got downtown that's 10 to 15 minutes away. You got the North Keystone, as you mentioned, North Keystone, the North Side uh, area that is not far away as well. So they feel as though. 
they're positioned uh, from a, a geography standpoint, if you will, well to attract uh, to attract folks. Gary Dick, InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. Always good to talk to you. Like getting the insights. More is coming up. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz Today. It's one thing to discuss it being hot out. Because it's been hot out. That, that is not a, a crazy thing to notice. It makes perfect sense to say, my gosh, it's hot out. It's, it's simple to do. You know, it, it's like the whole thing from uh, Family Guy. Warm today. Warm yesterday. Even warmer today. Makes perfect sense. What doesn't make perfect sense is to say the world is on fire and we're all going to die. What doesn't make sense is the Secretary General of the United Nations saying this. And for scientists, it is unequivocal. Humans are to blame. All this is entirely consistent with predictions and repeated warnings. The only surprise is the speed of the change. Climate change is here, it is terrifying, and it is just the beginning. The era of global warming has ended. The era, the era of global boiling has arrived. It's terrifying. It's frightening. It's man-made. The era of global warming has ended, and the era of global boiling has begun. Well, good night, kids. Sleep well. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. And that right there, that is James Taylor. He's the president of the Heartland Institute, heartland.org. And they address these issues, engage climate from a practical perspective, not the political uh, perspective. And over the course of the last week, James, it has been this surreal fear-mongering, and, and, and there are two ways this gets described. And the first one came from CNN, this now-famous tweet. This month is the planet's hottest in around 120,000 years, and it's this image of basically this, this cloudy kind of gray sky. It looks like forest fires. And, and then you've got these three women all disheveled, like, my gosh, what's happening? And they're all wearing sweaters, James. Because it's so hot, you have to wear a, a sweater. Clearly, the weather is being dictated by Jewish grandmothers saying, I'm hot, put on a sweater. That's the way this one went. And for those of you who want to send me an email, please send a care of my rabbi. Um, there's a lot of fear-mongering, James. Your take on, on that tweet from CNN and what your organization has been seeing as we had a hot week last week. Well, CNN's uh, tweet is propaganda on steroids. All they have to do is go to the very first United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report. It, because the United Nations documents, the UN itself documents, that 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, during the vast majority of the time period that human civilization has existed, Temperatures have been significantly warmer than today. In fact, for most of the Earth's existence, temperatures have been much, much warmer than today. So what happens in, in this crazy world of climate alarmism, 
somebody somewhere, some obscure person claiming to be a scientist makes a stupid claim, like these are the hottest temperatures of the past 120,000 years, and then all of a sudden everyone repeats it like as if it's fact. It's like they're watching Al Gore. Everything Al Gore says must be true. But uh, the fact of the matter is science itself, the United Nations itself, has proven repeatedly, convincingly, irrefutably, that that tweet is simply false. So the the idea that it's false versus the idea of why they put it out somewhere cnn felt that they had a basis for putting this out they had a a rationale something that they could point to do you know what that was as best as i can tell because this has been like a a ball of string rolling downhill and unwinding um but basically what what's happened is somebody somewhere makes some statement make some claim without backing it up and he may he or she may have a science degree but they don't back it up but somebody hears it somewhere and now it becomes repeated everywhere they get their talking points from the climate establishment okay oh look here it is we have to keep repeating this but the facts are the facts go to the united nations intergovernmental panel on climate change's own report go to the numerous peer-reviewed studies that have documented it has been the long-term consensus documented in peer-reviewed literature, documented in all sorts of temperature reconstructions, that today's temperatures are unusually cool, not warm. And building upon CNN's tweet, where they make it seem like everyone's dying from heat, a peer-reviewed study in the medical journal Lancet, it's the most prestigious peer-reviewed medical science journal in the world, documents that 19 times more people die from cold temperatures than from heat. As temperatures warm, yeah. it's saving millions of lives every year. There's there that is uh, an interesting bit of data. Talking to James Taylor, president of the Heartland Institute, Heartland.org. It's a very interesting piece of data that talks about the cold versus the heat. That even as we watch this alarmism take place, it still doesn't address scientific fact about what does more damage to a a society uh the cold doing more damage as you're pointing out uh than the heat but i think one of the the question that i had asked is if 120,000 years ago temperatures were this hot i want to know how they got there how many cadillacs were idling just randomly on street corners in order to create this global warming you heard uh the un secretary general antonio guterres discuss the fact that this is man made is man responsible for growing temperatures for, or, or I should say, are there growing temperatures for temperature fluctuations or climate issues being two different things in the U.S. and around the globe? Yeah, that's a great question. If humans are causing all of this warming and it's uh, unprecedented, well, unprecedented in the last 120,000 years, if temperatures were warmer 120,000 years ago, where were the SUVs? Where were the coal-fired power plants? Here is the way that our uh, temperature history has worked. For the past three million years, we've been in an ice age. It is a very unusually cold period. During that ice pa- uh, during this ice age, we have about 100,000 years of cold temperatures interrupted with about 10,000 years of warm temperatures. And that cycle goes over and over and over. We are in one of the rare warm cycles. We've been in this warm cycle for about 10,000 years. It's probably going to end soon. What we know is that during this warm cycle, during this past 10,000 years, temperatures have been warmer than today for most of this cycle. And we can go back 120,000 years ago to the last warm cycle, and temperatures were warmer in that warm cycle than they are today. Temperatures were warmer in the warm cycle two times ago than they are today. Temperatures were warmer three warm cycles ago than they are today. 
the earth does not have a fever the earth has pneumonia <laughs> that's that's a line talking to james taylor president of the heartland institute heartland dot uh, org let me give you something else that was was shown a lot and social media really moved with this and the people at snopes tried to uh, smack it down it it shows a weather map in europe of of um a country where uh they showed temperatures and they're, they're showing them in celsius of course uh so it looks like the temperatures in the 30s but they're not in the 30s and it, the the map is green right like the topography and then underneath it, it shows the same map, uh, and and the map is in red. And people are discussing how this has been happening, where you see these maps. Oh, look at the he- the red and the deep red, and the it's almost it's almost purple. It's so red. And and again with the scare tactics, uh, is this is this because if if it bleeds, it leads? Is this just a product of of our new age a news cycle? Or is there some kind of, yeah, let's desperately scare people because this heat is good for the narrative? Yeah, sensationalism sells. It sells not only for media views, but also for your political agenda. When Antonio Guterres, General Secretary of the United Nations, says that the temperatures are boiling, no, the Earth's average temperature is 59 degrees Fahrenheit. Last time I checked, that's 161, 163 degrees cooler than the boiling point. And it's also a fact that most of the world's population lives in tropical or subtropical climates. Warmer temperatures are what are conducive to human health and welfare. There's a reason why here in the United States, which, by the way, most of the U.S. is closer to the equator than the North Pole. But even here, most of the population dreams about retiring in Florida, California, Arizona, Texas, warm climates. There's a reason why most of our population is is uh, uh, migrating from colder or excuse me yeah from colder climates to warmer climates propaganda is one thing but scientific facts are another talking to james taylor he's the president of the heartland institute heartland.org this was president biden last week at at a uh, press conference first he, he he's taking action to deal with the extreme heat i'm announcing additional steps to help states and cities deal with the consequences of extreme heat. First, I've asked Acting Labor Secretary Julie Sue to issue a heat hazard alert. It clarifies that workers have a federal heat-related have federal heat-related protections. We should be protecting workers from hazardous conditions, and we will. And those states where they do not, I'm going to be calling them out where they refuse to protect these. Now, he's referring to Texas and the lie that the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, got rid of water breaks, which, of course, wasn't the the case, but rather he eliminated red tape because now they're saying that the employer can give a water break and the employee can take a water break. We are not involved in this conversation. He They didn't end water breaks in the state uh, of Texas. Uh, but what was your take there on, on President Biden uh, engaging this rhetoric uh, about extreme heat? It, it, is the heat of last week extreme? No, it's not. You can go to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. This is the federal government's own webpage. They have data for the state of Texas. What it shows is that days of extreme heat, the frequency of extreme heat days in Texas is declining. 
we're seeing fewer of these extreme heat days than we used to. Now, global warming is not going to make all extreme heat days go away. Uh, so, so you're still going to get some. But if you want to say that climate change, global warming is causing all this excessive heat, look at the numbers. 80 years ago, 100 years ago, days in which temperatures exceeded 100 degrees in Texas, according to the federal government's own data, were much more frequent than is the case now. And that's not just in Texas. For most of the states in the country and for the country as a whole, you do not see an increase in extreme heat. Indeed, you see a decrease. To the extent that the Earth's temperature is warming moderately, that warming is occurring almost entirely during winter at northern latitudes and at night. It's making the coldest of coldest temperatures more mild. That's pretty much the warming we're getting. And that's a good thing. Uh, and, and before, just to put a cap on this, something else Joe Biden said during that that presser at the at the fake White House they have at the OEOB. It's very weird. It's it's super weird. Listen to this. Most people don't realize that Texas is one of the states that has the most significant. Its energy is most significantly supplied by wind and solar in Texas. In Texas. And I know there's some in your state who want to change, turn that around, but it's working and it's moving in a big way and it's cheaper. It's cheaper. And it's solar and wind are cheaper. And if so, can I ask you, James, cheaper than what? Okay. First of all, though, when it says that it's working, there's a reason why we had these blackouts during the extreme cold in temperature a couple of years ago. There's a reason why we get rolling blackouts during the summer in Texas. It's because Texas relies on wind and solar power, which don't work. They, you cannot flip a switch and turn them on. You have to hope conditions are just right. But as far as the cost of it, no, we, we know for a fact that wind power, solar power is substantially more expensive than coal, than natural gas, than nuclear power. There is a reason why states have to pass laws forcing people to buy wind and solar power, because without those laws forcing people to do it, people won't buy that. There's a reason why the federal government subsidizes wind and solar power so much, because even with the subsidies, although they're more expensive, without the subsidies, people would rebel. If you truly believe Joe Biden, that wind and solar power are less expensive, then conventional energy, then eliminate the mandates and eliminate the subsidies. And then wind and solar will still win in the marketplace, if you really believe that. Well, I think we I think we know the answer to that, James. <laughs> I think we do. James Taylor, a Heartland Institute, heartland.org. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. More to get to. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Follow me down, out of this town. What does it say when even Democrats recognize that Hunter Biden is involved in a whole bunch of shady you-know-what? What does it say when even Democrats are acknowledging that Hunter Biden should be held accountable if he used his father's influence to commit crimes? But we know that he used his father's influence to do everything in his life. He has nothing else. No other discernible talents or skills or abilities. Nothing that breaks him out as his own man. Only somebody who lives in the shadows. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. And one could argue that none of that is easy. Your father's a big, powerful political figure. Your father's a big celebrity. Your father's a, a serious money guy or success. How do you get out from under the shadow of, of that? And we should be clear that for sons, 
for the vast majority of them, that matters greatly. I do also think it matters to levels of personality, not only the personality of the kid, but the personality of uh, the the adult who the the, the father or the, or the mother who is the the celebrity or or the, the the large figure looming large over their life, and how they teach them how to deal with it. I, but I do think there, there's both of those things, and one can argue that Bo Biden, uh, President Biden's late son, didn't have that issue. Right? So you can't just simply say, well, you see, Joe Biden. Hunter is responsible for his life. Hunter is responsible for great moments of his life, which is why I never let anybody say, oh, oh, he, he's, he's an addict. We should be nice. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He's 50 some odd years old and he has never gotten himself together. He needs to go get the help. He needs to be responsible. And how dare you think I shouldn't notice when he's engaged in criminality and possibly his father as well, I can't notice it because he's an addict? Stop it. Stop being crazy. You have got a a Democratic congressman out of Connecticut, Jim Himes, who stated on MSNBC, let me say something that you never heard a Republican member of Congress say in the four years of the Trump administration, which is that if Hunter Biden broke the law, he should be prosecuted. And it is clear that he broke the law with respect to taxes and possibly the ownership of a handgun. He should be held accountable for that. It's just the opposite. He definitely lied on Form 4473 and broke uh, federal law there in purchasing a handgun. As for the taxes, well, I'm never going to take the side of the IRS. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just not going to do it. So you see, you turn those two things around. There are plenty of people who discussed problems and issues with Donald Trump. Broke the law. Sorry, the phone call with Ukraine was not breaking the law. The emolument stuff was all nonsense. January 6th, again, not an insurrection, a riot. So no, you can't make that comparison just because the political left screamed it. But you must admit that Hunter Biden is into the shady stuff, and of course, his father knew about it. What did he condone? That's why we need an impeachment inquiry. And of course, what did he know and when did he know it? Find it all at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care. Take care.